Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Jean Charest goes on the attack against Pierre Poilievre's climate policies and support of the convoy. I think this is just perhaps a, a taste of what is to come over uh, the next uh, number of, of weeks and months in this leadership race. Canada pledges $100 million more in aid for Ukraine. We have an opportunity now as a world to stand for what is right. And that is why Canada stands with Ukraine, why we are sending so much aid. And Jason Kenney calls for unity, ahead of leadership review ballots being sent to members of his party in Alberta. I truly fear that if we choose the path of division, it will drive a wedge right down the middle of our party from which we may never again recover. And there's only one person who wins from that, and her name is Rachel Knopf. It's Monday, April 11th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Christy Kirkup of the Globe and Mail. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Mark. So Jean Charest, over the last few days, has done a number of interviews in which he has attacked his fellow leadership candidate, Pierre Poilievre, uh, in particular over his support of the truckers' convoy that came into downtown Ottawa a couple of months ago. And he even went so far as to say that Poiliev is should be disqualified from being a leader because he supported the convoy. Um, there's there's a couple of interesting things at play here. I think first of all, uh, it's certainly turning up the temperature of this leadership race between I think the two men who are perceived as the front runners, and. It's also raising some of the divisions in the Conservative Party over exactly those kinds of issues. Yeah, I think this is um, just perhaps a, a taste of what is to come over uh, the next uh, number of, of weeks and months in this leadership race. Uh, Jean Charest, I think, um, as you note, uh, really escalating his attack, specifically of Pierre Polyev and Frankly, I think there is a, a reason that it's happening. We have seen uh, Pierre Polyev, um, Ottawa MP, garnering a lot of support. Uh, he's had uh, rallies where there have been tons of people that have been coming out. Of course, the size of a rally doesn't necessarily mean that those, um, you know, that that's going to translate when it comes to having members support you uh, when the time comes uh, to name the next leader. But um, you know, the signs are, at least from the outside, that. Pierre Polyev's campaign uh, seems to know what it's doing, and they're running quite an organized uh, campaign and trying to show that there are these big demonstrations of support in the way of these, again, big rallies. And then you have um, Jean Charest, um, you know, really <laughs> specifically going after him, um, I think, on perhaps what is the low-hanging fruit, and that is the uh, support of Pierre Polyev um, for the uh, the convoy uh, that went into Ottawa. There are videos of Pierre Polyev kind of standing, um, you know, at, at highway stops, uh, giving people the thumbs up and, you know, um, you know, cheering people on as they arrived in the capital. However, Pierre Polyev's campaign in response to essentially Jean Charest going after him for supporting the convoy and, and saying, again, that this essentially should disqualify him um, you know, as, as someone who is aspiring to, to be the leader of the party and ultimately prime minister, uh, Pierre Polyev's uh, campaign saying that Charest is repeating liberal lies about truckers and attacking Canadians who oppose unfair and unscientific vaccine mandates 
along with other issues including carbon taxes and uh, Canadians who support cryptocurrency, which is a whole other dimension of the conversation because uh, Pierre Polyev has been making some remarks about cryptocurrency to which yeah. um, uh, Jean Charest has also weighed in. So anyway, I think um, this is going to be quite the battle uh, between these two candidates um, over the next little bit. And as I say, I think this is perhaps a window into um, this is really just the beginning of these two uh, going at each other. Yeah. And, and just to drill down briefly before we move on to other things that I find it interesting because I think this is really what many people are saying is a choice for the future of the Conservative Party, whether it's it's through the leadership or even just the direction of the party, the the direction that Charest seems to represent, which is which is not the 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 path of the truckers and the the skeptics about vaccines uh, and and the Bitcoin supporters um, and the the uh, the path of of um, of Pierre Poiliev, which is a more populist type of approach that seems to be working for him. So it's it's not just a choice between leaders, but a choice between directions for the party. For sure. And I think that, you know, these big existential questions do come up in the course of, um, you know, in the course of any leadership race for, frankly, any party. And yet, I think this is uh, a very critical moment uh, for the Conservatives. In fact, perhaps even more critical than the last time they engaged in in this leadership race, because, of course, the reason uh, that the Conservatives are engaged in such a race um, was because there was such a rare moment, right, when Aaron O'Toole as leader was uh, pushed overboard by members of his own caucus. Again, that, that doesn't happen every day in Canadian politics. And, um, you know, Aaron O'Toole, in terms of kind of his um, uh, position on a number of issues, by the way, the, the convoy was, was one of them. He didn't really want to weigh in on the convoy, and that proved to um, kind of be this big catalyst for a lot of people, um, even within the caucus, going going at him and ultimately, again, um, seeing him uh, re- removed as leader. So yeah. I think that, you know, Jean Charest obviously um, does represent more of the progressive conservative side of the party, although he says that he is running as a conservative, and he has reiterated as much, and Pierre Polyev, again, I think representing more of a harder right uh, position within the conservative movement. All right, while we're talking about leadership, uh, let's touch on Jason Kenney for a moment. The Alberta Premier is facing a leadership review. It's a mail-in ballot, so we're not going to find out for over a month uh, the results of this process, but um, but Jason Kenney uh, gave a speech on the weekend in which he encouraged uh, the party to choose unity um, and said, uh, don't compare me to the almighty, but to the alternative. Um, He is facing a lot of opposition right now, including from within his own party. So uh, there's a lot at stake here, isn't there? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously this is the the fight um, for Jason Kenney in terms of his political career, the the biggest fight he's ever had to face. He has um, had, um, up until now, quite a bit of success, of course, as a federal cabinet minister and then going on to to take over uh, the, the leadership of the United Conservatives and going on to become premier. And yet now, again, having to at least try and put out an effort to to quiet the waters within I thought it was interesting when Jason Kenney was also referencing in his remarks, um, you know, issues that the former Premier Ralph Klein uh, went through, and that was back in 2006, um, essentially talking about how what happened then set off a decade of division 
Um, and he essentially said that cycling through a number, specifically four PC leaders and ending up with two conservative parties um, was a bitter civil war, he said. And, um, you know, essentially that that um, people don't want to see that happen again. Um, so we'll see if he's successful in being able to, again, make that, that bid to, to stay on. Um, but it is never a good moment, again, when you have, um, again, the, the knives being sharpened for you within your own party, let alone having to take on um, political opponents um, outside of your party, um, uh, you know, as, as you look uh, yeah. towards, again, staying on, more broadly speaking, as Premier. All right. Finally, Canada is pledging more aid to Ukraine, $100 million worth. Um, and, and I know this is... This is on the list of, of things that uh, that Canada can do. There, there are uh, there's ongoing debate over how much Canada should do in other areas, militarily and otherwise, through NATO on its own. Uh, but this kind of aid obviously is critical uh, as Ukraine continues to deal with this ongoing crisis. Yeah, I think what we're seeing from the Canadian government is, of course, they want to be able to communicate and, frankly, I think, offer um, tangible, um, you know, resources in, in the way of support. So, again, this announcement on Saturday of the $100 million more in aid, specifically designed to help with the ongoing refugee and humanitarian crisis that uh, I think Canadians are continuing to, to read about and, of course, watching the situation with horror. And this humanitarian funding that was announced over the course of the weekend builds upon other announcements such as, um, you know, what was announced in uh, the budget that was tabled last week in the way of uh, military aid, some $5 million there. Um, and yet, I think um, Canada, like other NATO countries, has made it clear that there is a limitation on what it is willing to do. Specifically, NATO has um, reiterated again and again that um, an attack on one NATO country would be an attack on all, and that ultimately would change the course of the situation that's playing out right now. Uh, but where they do not want to go is they don't want to see um, you know, specifically essentially getting entangled with boots on the ground um, in Ukraine um, as Russia continues with the onslaught of, of violence um, and destruction that we have seen over the course now of many weeks. Um, so again, I think it, you know, these types of announcements are indicative of the fact that this is still a situation that, of course, Canada is very much seized with, and yet, um, there are things that Canada is willing to do, such as the humanitarian support, um, and then also the, the limitations on what Canada and other NATO countries have said um, they, they are willing to do. And again, yeah. not being willing to engage in a no-fly zone, for example, that has been uh, called upon uh, from Ukraine. All right. Great to have your insights on all of this today, Christy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. That's Christy Kirkup of The Globe and Mail. What we see happening in Ukraine now is not about the war anymore. This is a genocide. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At Policy Magazine, Colin Robertson asks, what happens now that the Cold War has turned hot? Robertson writes, democracies and the liberal world order created by them are being undermined by China and Russia. Now, Vladimir Putin has moved the confrontation into conflict. And like it or not, we are engaged in a new war. 
Ukraine only reinforces the requirement that democracies be better prepared for what is going to be a continuing confrontation on issues ranging from security to trade to human rights. What is needed immediately is timely, forceful, and collective action by Canada and fellow democracies to get arms to Ukrainians so that they can take back their country. In the New York Times, Thomas Friedman asks, how do we deal with a superpower led by a war criminal? Friedman writes, the broad framework that kept much of the world stable and prospering since the end of the Cold War has been seriously fractured by Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Putin has gone from bad boy to war criminal. And when the leader of a country that spans 11 time zones with vast oil, gas and mineral resources and more nuclear warheads than anyone else is a war criminal and must be henceforth treated as a pariah, the world as we've known is profoundly changed. Nothing can work the same. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert considers Jean Charest's chances in Quebec. Hébert writes, If he is to succeed in his bid to become federal conservative leader, Jean Charest needs to win big in Quebec, but he would be well advised not to count his Quebec chickens before they hatch. The recent surge in support for the provincial conservatives has already attracted much attention in Quebec's political circles. For Charest, the timing of that could not be less welcome. His caucus supporters argue a Pierre Poilievre victory would lead to electoral disaster in Quebec in the next federal election. The rising fortunes of a Poilievre-style provincial conservative party may suggest otherwise. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will make an announcement in Victoria, B.C., highlighting budget investments in electric vehicle infrastructure. He will also meet with the Mayor of Victoria, as well as members of the City of Victoria, Youth Advisory Council. International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan will be in Kelowna, British Columbia, to talk about measures in the budget for businesses. Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchings will visit Prince Edward Island to talk about budget measures for clean air and the economy. Minister of Fisheries Joyce Murray will make an infrastructure announcement in Richmond, B.C. And Northern Affairs Minister Daniel Vandal will speak about the growth of the green economy in Winnipeg. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, April the 11th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.